You're listening to 2018 National Heritage Fellows, musicians Don and Cindy Roy. And this is Artworks, the weekly podcast produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. I'm Josephine Reed. Don and Cindy Roy are in the forefront of Franco-American traditional music in Maine. Don's superb fiddling, backed by Cindy's rhythmic piano, plus her top-notch step dancing, have entertained audiences across the country and helped to revive the tradition of Franco-American music. Music was a big part of life for both Don and Cindy as they grew up. Both are descendants of French families that emigrated from Canada. Every weekend, family and friends would gather for a soiree with plenty of music, food, and good times. Both Cindy's grandfather, Alfie Martin, and Don's uncle, Lucien Mathieu, were well-known fiddlers. And it was through them that Cindy and Don came to play and appreciate traditional Franco-American music. Don and Cindy met and married 38 years ago, and they've been playing together ever since, bringing traditional music to new audiences as well as composing new tunes in the traditional style. After winning numerous fiddle competitions, Don and Cindy Roy led the main French fiddlers, performing at Wolf Trap, the National Folk Festival, Carnegie Hall, and Public Radio's A Prairie Home Companion, to name a few. They've been members of other ensembles in Maine and now perform as the Don Roy Trio with longtime musical collaborator, bassist Jay Young. Both Don and Cindy are dedicated to passing on their love of traditional music to others, creating and leading Fiddlicious, a community fiddle orchestra with more than 100 members. And Don not only gives private fiddle lessons, he's actually learned to build them. He's become an excellent luthier who produces first-class instruments. Don Roy has received three individual artist fellowships from the Maine Arts Commission. And now he and Cindy have been named 2018 National Heritage Fellows. I visited them in their home in Maine this summer and was impressed by the instruments built by Don, the beautiful gardens that Cindy grows, and fell in love with their dog, Lucy. I began my conversation with them by asking Don to describe French fiddle music and explain its difference from Irish or Appalachian music. That's a good question. The French music in Maine and New England, I think is attributed to the French heritage, the people that came down from Quebec and uh, brought the music with them and played the, the tunes of their heritage. And a lot of it comes from the singing, the call and response singing that they do. You know, some of it can be traced back to Brittany. In the Maritimes, um, my, my heritage uh, comes from Prince Edward Island and my grandfather brought that music here. So. Um, not only from Quebec, but the Maritime, mm -hmm. all the Maritime provinces. And they were French. My grandparents were also French. What makes it different from Appalachian, any other type of fiddle music, I think, has to do with the accenting, the phrasing. Is there a relationship to Cajun music? There is some. It's all dance music, and it's all music of the, of the working people. They use this music to relieve the stress of the week and to create entertainment for themselves when they didn't have any money they could still play the fiddle and have a dance and have a great evening. French music is more than just notes and melodies and you know it's all that heritage coming together in an audible form. And you can hear the well-being, if you would, of the heritage. A lot of people tell us it's happy music. Well, the French are happy people 
and you can say that you know you hear a lot of struggles in the Irish music, and the Irish had a, a tough road, and there's a lot of you know minor keys and, and different things, just different ways they play the music. Tough question. Both your families, of course, had a hand in keeping this music alive. Cindy, tell me about your upbringing and the place of music in your memories of growing up. Well, um, from the time that I was one until the time I was about five, we lived with my meme and pepe while my mom and dad saved money to build our house in the next town. And so my earliest memories are uh, being in the cellar, as we are right now in, in our cellar here in Gore, Maine, which they called the Rumpus Room. Don't ask me why, but anyway, that's what they called it in Westbrook, Maine, and where my grandparents lived and raised their family. And it seems like every Saturday night there was a party, and friends and relatives would come from far and wide, and there would be lovely music going on. We didn't have songs in my family. We just had the musical tunes. And there was dancing and just a lot of camaraderie and just wonderful fellowship. There was always food. So anyway, that's where I got my start dancing to this music. I always had an interest in the piano. I always gravitated toward it, and I think my grandfather sensed some sort of talent there. And so he was instrumental, if you will, pardon the pun, in getting me to take some lessons. So I took lessons with the... She was the organist at our church. So I took five years of lessons with her, learned how to play by note, played a lot of show tunes and a lot of, you know, just easy classical things and then lost interest in it because playing piano by myself wasn't fun. In the meantime, cousins of mine were learning to play guitar and play chords, and they would sit on the floor with their notebooks, and they'd strum their guitars. And and so I kind of gravitated over to that after a while and uh, learned to play chords on the guitar and sing. And um, eventually I met Don. Don and I met on a blind date in 1980. I was playing guitar at the time, and we played together that first night. Um, he played a few tunes and I was able to follow because of my ear training. I learned chords all by ear, so that was easy for me to do. And after we went out, maybe for, I don't know, a few months anyway, he said to me, you can play all these chords on the piano. Why don't I just show you how to, you know, back up the tunes that I'm playing on the piano because it would be really nice. And so that started, it's now what, 38 years later? Now, Don, you you had a similar upbringing. You had house parties. There's you have a musical lineage. Yeah, as, as Cindy does. Tell us, tell me about yours. Well, all my aunts and uncles, both sides of my family, grew up in the Waterville, Winslow area of Maine, Central Maine. And when I was five, my family moved to the coast, mid coast Maine. We ended up in Rockland for many years, but it seemed like many weekends we'd go to visit the grandparents. Uh, and a party always broke out. You know, someone would call Uncle Lucian, or if he was in the area, he, he'd drop in, and Norman, my Uncle Norman or my Uncle Tony would start singing some songs, and it just evolved from there in the same way Cindy's family did. That it started out just being a simple gathering, turned into uh, a soiree, and with the same feast at midnight or whenever the thing was going to wind down, we'd have the feed, and it was always just a great time. And my Uncle Lucian worked for a, a union, and he traveled a lot. So he would pop into Rockland 
he always had his fiddle so I grabbed the guitar and accompanied him and then when I was 15 he gave me a fiddle and a couple of records and it just blossomed from there for us but it was the same deal I thought it was happening in everybody's household later in life we started getting out of New England playing music and thinking I don't know it, did, it didn't <laughs> you know it was quite a blessing to be brought up in that strong Catholic musical upbringing. I know you met on a blind date, but did your families know each other? They did, yes. Well, Don's uncle Lucian, who he was just talking about, moved to Westbrook where my mamma and Pepe lived. And uh, my grandfather, I guess, used to play like at the Legion Hall. They would have gatherings in, on Saturdays. And so I guess as I understand the story, one night Lucian showed up. You probably should tell this because you <laughs> They know met him. at a fiddle contest in Wyndham. All right. They had met at a fiddle contest. And, and then uh, Lucian would always say, Alfie invited me over to check me out. See if, <laughs> is there had to quite pass muster. <laughs> yeah. Like all the Taipei fiddle players in one room. You know? <laughs> but they became very good friends. They were best friends. Mm -hmm. And as my grandfather uh, in 1970 had a stroke and could no longer play, and he would sit in the chair and just cry because he wanted to so bad. So at that time, even Lucian would come over and play for him, or he would bring Dawn over to play for him, you know, as Dawn started playing fiddle. Um, so our families knew each other very well. Um, I knew of him. Uh, I knew that there was a hotshot nephew who was starting to play the fiddle, and my grandfather thought a lot of his playing, um, but I never met him until it was like five years later when we met on a blind date. And the rest is history. <laughs> when you started playing the fiddle, Don, you were playing guitar and then you moved to fiddle. Did you just immediately feel like, oh, yeah, this is it? No, it just was fun, and, and I enjoyed doing it, and I did it because Uncle Lucian did it. And he was a great fiddle player. And he was course. a great fiddle mm -hmm. player, and every time we'd get together, he'd, he'd teach me another melody and or two. And uh, But then it, we did more than that. We always went to visit some of his fiddling friends. We'd go to a fiddle contest. Or, you know, there's always another aspect to, to the visit um, besides fishing and playing the fiddle. He'd give me some records to take home with me, and I figured out real quick that if I uh, if I slowed my parents' stereo down to the 16 speed, you remember those? <laughs> and I tuned my fiddle up a half a step, I was in pitch with the recording, and it was going so slow that I could just pick them off by ear and uh, ruined a lot of records that way. So I, got the, I got the tunes. But you learned a lot of tunes. <laughs> yeah, and... Uh, so it was just fun. It was a fun thing to do. It was a fun thing to go to do because we were always meeting new people and, and, and having a lot of fun with the music. Cindy is right. You were the hotshot fiddle player. You won a competition a year after you started playing? It was less than that, but... Less. Yeah, but... The very yeah, humble, yeah. the very humble hotshot fiddle player, still. Yeah. yeah, but it was never about... Uh, we did a lot of fiddle contests, but it was never about the contest. You know, my Uncle Lucian was very quick to point out that, look, we're all fiddle players. We all know who's the best player. We all know who has a good day. And the judges are going to be a doctor, a lawyer, and a tennis player. Not They don't know anything about <laughs> so, so don't even think about 
the importance of the contest. But what was important was going to Barry Vermont and seeing Graham Townsend once a year, or, you know, running into Joe Rubber Show and Henry Riando and, and and those friendships and sharing music, telling stories, and that's what the contests are all about. Those meetings and playing with other people. Yeah. You know, you, you you developed a peripheral family. I'd like to talk about your musical partnership and what you both bring to the table and how you work together. Wow, I don't think I've ever been asked that. No. That's a really interesting question. Well, for me, um, when we perform, now I'm thinking about performing because really the brains behind the outfit is this guy right here. I mean, he's the one that searches out the tunes. He's the one that figures out the chords usually to accompany. He's the one that arranges everything. He's total brains behind it. But when we are together performing, what we show is a very special part of our relationship that not a lot of other couples have. And that's why for myself, I just feel so blessed because I always say I wouldn't be a good fiddler's wife. Now the fiddler's wives, when the people used to come to my grandfather's house and the wives would sit on the periphery of the room and the fiddle players would all be, and they were all the men, but there were no women fiddle players. So the women just kind of all sat and they had wonderful community and fellowship and they loved each other and everything and they had a great time, but it was really happening where the music was was coming from. I would not have been in a good place sitting on the periphery. So for myself, I just feel so blessed and so lucky to be able to take part in what goes on when Don picks up that little box and puts it under his chin and starts playing. Um, just so, so lucky. Um, it's a very special part of our relationship that we have. Well, I can tell you more that you bring to the musical partnership, too. Oh, is a, a rhythm. <coughs> rhythm. 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 My rhythm was all over the map before we started playing together. And I'd constantly speed up or, you know, push things around. And that became rock solid when Cindy started playing. Thank also has the rhythm of her feet and that just really lifts the whole the music a, a couple of levels when she starts doing that gallop. Well, it, I think it it makes it more traditional too to have that going on in the background versus you know just playing we're both playing there's no tapping of the feet especially if you're it just playing. doesn't sound right. No it doesn't no. it doesn't sound no. right. And it looks fabulous. Well it's fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you remember the first time you played out together? Yes, I do, I think. <laughs> I had a gig on a riverboat cruise. Oh my goodness. Going down the St. <laughs> George River in Thomaston. And they was. wanted me to come out and, and it was just like a, a an evening cruise and they wanted some fiddle music. And so I called Cindy, I said, bring your guitar, come on up and we'll do this cruise and we'll make a little money. and. So we did, and she came up with her probably a 12-string at that time. Yeah, probably. And, and yep. we sat on this old riverboat and went up and down the, the river out to the ocean and back, and and uh, that was probably our first gig. Either that or I was thinking it could be like a fielder's contest because I know we were playing contests 
Probably before that, but I don't remember, and who knows? Who knows? But a contest is so different than performing. As yeah. A, you know, so yeah. you're right about that. Yeah. yeah. If you like the contest, because I'm a payer. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. I wouldn't take money. <laughs> well, i tried to pay you, but i take you out for dinner and You would. Like that, I would so say, she, no, you can take me out for dinner She latched on to that pretty quick. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But you guys were so young then, and it must have been great to be on that circuit because New England had extraordinary fiddler competitions. They did, they yes. did yeah. yeah it was, and, yeah. There was a lot, yeah. I, I never kept track of the winnings, I mean, because we, no. we won a fair or non won a, a fair amount of contests. I never got the money. I just got taken out to dinner on the way home, so I never kept track of, you know, the income. In the end, you did. And you met so many people, of course. We did, yeah. and we still yeah. are. I mean, it's just Yeah, it's our, our musical family is huge. It's you know, amazing. I mean, Crazy. We could go to Ireland. We could go to Scotland. We could go. We can go to Portland, Oregon. We yeah, can go to you know all throughout Canada, and we could say we're coming Florida, through and stop and we'd be staying overnight with somebody playing yeah. music, yeah, and having dinner and telling stories. And it's so awesome. We're so lucky. Yeah. We really are. Yeah, it's nice to hear about a musical family like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and we have a big musical family right here in the Greater Portland area because we have the Fiddlicious Orchestra, which Don created and and still directs. He's the artistic director for Fiddlicious, which is like a 140-member orchestra, mostly fiddles, but piano, basses, cellos, help me out. Uh, uh, just guitars, about any traditional uh, instrument. Mandolin, harp, Penny whistle, whistles, yes. Yeah. Accordion. Yeah. That is a beautiful community that we have right here in the greater Portland area. And that's and the same thing. The music is just a medium to, to get the community together. Yeah. What we play is not that important to the survival of Fiddlicious. It's the community, people. And you see it now where people have been together and built their confidence and their repertoire enough so that they're going out and playing nursing homes and doing gigs and mm-hmm. forming small bands on their own and playing events and, and taking trips together. And these people never met till they came to Fiddlicious, you know, so... As far as I understand, it's an open community orchestra, so anybody can come. Yeah, when I started it, I wanted to to be a... Uh, I didn't know what it was going to turn into when I started it. I was just going to start teaching for free once a month. I uh, had some ideas, but what I f- figured out really quick was that people just wanted someone else to play with. And so I went with that, and it blossomed into Fiddlicious. And today, uh, you know, we're a 501c3 with about a 30-person volunteer staff, lawyers and marketing and steering committees and things like that. And it's still all 100% donated time, talent, and labor. We throw a case out uh, every night that we meet. And if someone wants to throw three to five bucks in there, that's what we ask. That pays for the rental of the hall, and that's the way it'll always be. Fiddlicious also performs. We do. It's actually a, uh, an educational program. I start teaching tunes in January. We meet every other week until the end of June when I've taught all the music. Uh, July sometimes is a refresher month. They get together. We don't. Cindy and I take a break in July. August, we meet weekly until the end of October. And the last two weekends in October, we do four concerts, Saturday, Sunday concerts for two weekends. And we have a huge party at a restaurant, and and that's it for the year. We start again the following January. This year is our 15th season. I was just going to ask you that. It's 15. Wow. It's a community. It's a musical community, the same as it was when it was in my grandfather's rumpus room or... 
in the kitchen yeah. at Don's Uncle's, you know, in Waterville. So. And also back then, you know, my family, there were between my mother and my father, there were uh, 16 children that would gather, you know, and so Phytolicious is just like a, a family <laughs> gathering on steroids. Yeah, and it's, yeah. A, it's a happy yeah. place, too. Yeah. I mean, you go and you're really, you drag yourself there sometimes. A lot of nights when I used to go after work, I would drag myself and think, oh, I just wish I could just be going home right now. But once you get there, you just get lost in the music. And when you leave at 9 o'clock or 9.30 or whatever time it ends up being, you're just so much happier than you were when you first came in With the door. With more energy, too, exactly, I would think. Exactly. It's hard to sleep when you get home because you're just so energized. <laughs> how do you teach this music? I mean, does it come back to how you learned it? What's the best way, do you think, to learn this music? When I get a talented young person that I really want to work with, it's all by ear and just not a lot of instruction. Just get this sound, I'll say yes or no until they find it. That's how I learn. And Uncle Lou would teach me tunes. He didn't teach me how to play the fiddle. He would teach me melodies. He'd play this, and then I'd copy him. And what was happening all that time is I was training my ear to pick up the accenting, the slurring, the pulsing, that whole ear development. That's the best way to teach a heritage. The nuances is what you have to learn to listen for and, and learn to, uh, to extract out of your instrument. It's how I try to teach it. I can't do that with Fiddlicious because there's so many people. I learned a little bit differently because, of course, I learned to play piano by note. So when it was time for me to try to follow these tunes by ear, my ear was not trained to do that. Um, Don is a very patient teacher so when I first started playing back up piano with Don he would pick really easy tunes that just had a few chords until I kind of got that you know we just kind of added but he always would make sure that the chords were written out for me but once again you have that's that written thing in front of you if you can just put that away so much easier so much better and you can enjoy it so much more if you can just train your ear so for me I don't know it took me I'm still a work in progress I really am I have a hard time a lot of times following things by ear I'm getting better at it after 30 plus years of doing this now you train your ear and you don't yeah. really realize that you're doing it now when did you begin to compose tunes oh very early very mm -hmm. early they never <laughs> they wouldn't go public though for a long time <laughs> I've always been a do-it-myself type of person, even when I was a kid. You know, if I could do it myself, or I could figure it out myself, I could make it myself. I've always been that creative person. Uh, you know, right in that cabinet off to my left, there's a, some old notes from 1976, probably, when I started putting tunes together and, and couldn't even write music. I just scribble them down somehow, and, and uh, they don't even make sense now if I look at some of them. And it was early on, and I enjoy that part of it. You gotta have some fun with it, and you gotta be a little bit liberal with it. I mean, because there's only seven notes, and I mean, how many melodies can you make in the first <laughs> position on the violin, you know? It's another creative process that gets you away from reality for a while talking about getting away from reality, as you're both doing all this, you're also working full time. Mm -hmm. Yes. What did you do, Cindy? I'm a dental hygienist um, who got kind of 
misplaced from doing dental hygiene instead uh, started working early on in my career my dental career for an oral surgeon in Portland Dr. Richard Lemieux I worked 31 years for Dr. Lemieux and my job went away about five years ago when he retired and closed the office I went to the grocery store wanting something different to do and uh, that's where I still am now about 20 or 30 hours a week Basically, I'm a musician, and that's my second job at this time, working at the grocery store. It's just so impressive to be able to do so much music when you're also working a full-time job. It's a lot to do. My hat is off to you. I mean, it's a labor of love. And I think for us, um, because we both did it together, that's the other part of that story of us being together and doing what we do. I think if he was doing it by himself and I wasn't a part of it, I don't know. I, I don't or think it would have. Or if you were doing it by yourself yeah, and you weren't a part of it. I just yeah. don't think yeah, that it would have worked. That would be hard. And, right. and he was also working at the, same, at the time. Uh, he worked the same amount of years. For the I main... worked 31 years also oh. for the Maine Turnpike Authority. I was only 53, and I figured I'd crunch the numbers just to see how bad the weight was going to be. Well, I figured out that night I could give one fiddle lesson a week and equal the same amount of money I was going to lose by retiring early. The next day I filled out the paperwork and said, see you later. Huh? But I was getting really frustrated because I wanted to do a lot more playing out. I wanted to do a lot more recording. Well, that was just a really good blessing in my life to be able to do that. I helped the farmer up the street here, April through June, and then uh, the gigs start and the festivals start. Between playing music and making the instruments, that absorbs most of my time. So it must be less frustrating now that you can be part-time and mostly just devote yourself to music. Yeah, yeah. And, and we've never gone looking for gigs. We've never really solicited stuff, and so now it'd be nice to, you know, we can pack up and go. And hopefully someone's listening out there that wants us somewhere else to come play music. And we'll do that. Just get in touch. Canada, Europe, anywhere else, we'll go. Now, you started a group called the Maine French Fiddles. Yeah, well, yeah. We were asked to, or I was asked to put a group of fiddle players together for a New Year's Portland celebration. So I called my uncle, and he called a couple of his old buddies, and I got my cousin and a good friend of ours, Jay Young, who's still playing bass with us. And we got this sort of quasi-family band together, and we did... New Year's Portland by just simply doing what we do in a house party. We just get together and here's our favorite tunes. Let's string a couple of them together. And so we were the main fiddlers convention for that. And a fellow by the name of Nick Spitzer was in the audience that night and he wanted to bring us to Carnegie Hall. So that was our, kind of Is our that first how you got gig. To Carnegie Hall? Yes. Got so we didn't like Maine fiddlers convention. So we changed it to Maine French fiddlers. Cause anyway, we, we ran for about 11 years. What was that Carnegie Hall thing like? That must have been extraordinary. Oh, it was. You know, you get a call, and I forgot who it was I talked with, some lady down there, and I just kind of listened, and <laughs> I said, okay, see you later, yeah. and hung up the phone, and, you know, they're going to fly us down there, and and they're going to limo us into yeah. the facility. They're going to put us out. And it's like, we're all thinking, what's this, you know, a bunch of hick fiddle players from Maine? I mean, what what... 
that. They must have made a mistake or something like that. But so that was pretty cool. And now when people say, "How do you get to Carnegie Hall?" You know, you know I say, "Well, they flew us down there." <laughs> you know. <laughs> when did you add becoming a luthier to your repertoire? Maybe fifteen years ago. Uh, always was interested in woodworking and. Uh, John Cooper. I knew John as a musician from many, many years ago, and he, and he went and learned how to make violins and studied uh, abroad and went to Italy and, and spent some time and came back. He he moved in the, he lived in Gorham when he came back, and it's five minutes away from here. And on my way home from work, so I poke my nose in there and say hello and see what he's doing and start asking questions and he start showing me things and you know I came home one day and said I wonder if I could make a rib so I made a rib and then I just kept going. John was pretty good about teaching me how to think about things. Yeah, he's a good teacher. What a valuable thing to teach how yeah. to think about things. Yeah, and it's, it's been a, a, a really good approach. It's not. You have to do it this way or follow this template. You know, it's just if you do something here, here's how it might impact something, and here's the physics behind it, or maybe here's the architecture behind it. You know, just how to how to think about what you're doing and different aspects of what you're doing. You know, you know, just looking at it from a different angle. So he anyway, he's he's really good about things like that, and just as long as you're not afraid to screw up and start over again. I mean, that's that's the nature of the job anyway. So, uh, but that is a really cool thing too. And being a, a good player, to be able to really extract out of that instrument what's in there, or, or at least get a lot further than you know, most makers can get, because most makers aren't good players if they play at all. So just to be able to take that piece of tree that's dead and bring it back to life for a couple hundred years, it's it's a pretty cool What's feeling. It like to play your own violin, a violin that you made. It's awesome. It's awesome. I would think. Yeah. Okay, here's the question I have. Do you find that the sound of the instrument changes somewhat? I mean, maybe even just a little bit as it gets played. Big time. Oh, okay. Yeah. And that's another advantage I have is that it takes me about a year and a half to two years of playing an instrument to really get it where it starts to, to blossom. It changes so much in the first year. Uh, everything stretches and moves, but because I don't have to pay somebody to do it, I can try a bunch of different strings. I can make different bridges, different sound posts. I can do all that stuff, and that's the real advantage of playing on an instrument that I make myself is I don't have to spend hundreds or thousands of dollars to go through all these experiments, and it's a huge learning advantage too to every time I you know make a different bridge for a fiddle and hear what happens and trying different strings you know, whether a heavy gauge light gauge and just going through that whole process you know is huge because usually the fiddles I sell are the ones I've been playing for <laughs> for a while oh so lucky person who buys it yeah you know, I've already done that you know yeah. and now that's getting ahead of me because now I'm starting to get a few commissions and stuff and stuff I've got one fiddle that I'm playing on now but it's sold so I've got to be careful with it so I got another one in the shop I've been hurrying to make, so I have it to go to Washington with. <laughs> received many awards 
including three individual artist fellowships from the state of Maine. You maxed out. Maxed out. (laughs) (laughs) You can only get three. And now a National Heritage Fellowship. Mm -hmm. I would like you to just say a little bit about what the National Heritage Fellowship means to you and for the music and for the community. The National Heritage Fellowship for me means that everything that I'm doing to get the music stimulated in the community is a good thing. They're saying people that know have looked and said this is a really cool thing that you're doing. It's a really good thing you're doing. It's a the ultimate pat on the back, if you would, for me. And I still haven't got my head wrapped around this award because, you know, what I'm doing, I would continue to do till I die anyway. Uh, And it's just so exciting to see the the local community, musical community, be stimulated and and revved up and to have the NEA come and say, nice job. You know, we like what you're doing. It's It's a big thank you to me. Like I said, I still haven't processed it all yet. And Cindy, for you? Well, what he said, uh, <laughs> that's the easy way out. I'm still processing it as well. I'm very humbled by it when I look at that list of those who went ahead of us to receive the award. I just shake my head and say, holy moly, why us? I mean, we're just two folks of French-Canadian descent doing what we always did with our family. It's just incredible to me. Uh, it leaves me speechless, which I'm not speechless very often, but uh, and breathless. Uh, it takes my breath away to be recognized on the national level in this way. It's from, almost like from, it should be illegal to be rewarded for having so much fun. For having and, so much fun, exactly. A, and, you know, uh, one of the greatest lines I heard uh, I've ever heard is from Steve Riley when we were having lunch one day. He was talking about musicians and income. And he says, I'm not rich, but I live a rich life. And, and that, uh, that sums to, it up. To be in that boat and, and to get rewarded for it doesn't seem... It's it's incredible. And I'm, I'm very proud to bring this home, not only for the state of Maine, but to bring it home to our French-Canadian community here in the state of Maine. <laughs> Many congratulations to you both. It is so well-deserved. It really is so well-deserved. Your music is wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for giving me your time, True. Thanks for coming out. Thanks for coming out to me. That was 2018 National Heritage Fellows, Don and Cindy Roy. You can hear them perform at the National Heritage Fellowship Concert, which takes place on Friday, September 28th at 8 p.m. Eastern at Shakespeare Theater's Harmon Hall in Washington, D.C. It is free and open to the public. You can get information about it at arts.gov. And if you can't make it to Washington, do not despair. We are streaming the concert live at arts.gov. You've been listening to Artworks, produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. You can subscribe to Artworks wherever you get your podcasts. So please do, and leave us a rating on Apple. It helps people to find us. For the National Endowment for the Arts, I'm Josephine Reed. Thanks for listening.